Friends, my name is Adam, and it's uh, one of the best things about my life is being one of your pastors here. We are going to wrap up our series called Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. One of the semesters I was in college at Central Methodist University in Fayette, Missouri. Uh-huh. Uh, go Eagles. We had a... Uh, uh, the Gideons came to campus. I don't know if you're familiar with the Gideon organization. If you've ever been to a hotel, open up one of them drawers and see the Bible in there. It's very likely provided by the Gideons. They're an association of Christians who are focused on evangelism and uh, uh, on helping people know Jesus and, and giving people Bibles. So they were handing out Bibles on campus. And so students would walk by, such as myself, and they'd say, would you like a Bible? And this is what they looked like. They were miniature New Testaments. I call them fun-sized Bibles, right? <laughs> and so they'd offer you a Bible and you could say, sure. Or you could say no and reveal yourself to be a godless heathen, <laughs> right? And so just kind of this awkward exchange happened and I was 21 years old. And so of course I was on my high horse because I knew everything then. And I remember calling my dad and being like, oh, you won't believe this. And oh, it was so awkward. And just giving my dad a list of all the things they were doing wrong. And my dad said something to me that I've often thought about that day. He said, well, Adam, their way of doing it is better than your way of not doing it. So I had to, had to give my old man the quote on the screen and everything. That's the worst. Friends, when it comes to talking about others to Jesus, what is a good way to do it? What I hope we'll discover today in our scripture as we study God's word is that people will be receptive when they trust you're not being deceptive. Evangelism is a word I can't say right. Evangelism is a word you may or may not be familiar with. A dictionary.com defines it as the preaching or promulgation of the gospel, missionary zeal, purpose, or activity. So in non-promulgation terms, you can think of evangelism as sharing your faith. Sharing your faith. And evangelism is a loaded word. For some, it calls to mind maybe somebody on a street corner passing out literature or with one of those box signs or with a bullhorn. Maybe you can remember a time when you got an unexpected knock at the door on a Saturday morning and someone wanted to talk to you about their beliefs. Uh, the word evangelical since probably the 70s or 80s has in many ways become a political term. That's something I grieve deeply. According to Greek origins of the word, it is my belief that every Christian should be evangelical. A term we'll see in our scripture is evangelizo, and that means to proclaim the good news. A great example of this is in Luke 1, when the angel is announcing the good news of Jesus' birth. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news, this evangelizo. And you can even hear the word angel when we say evangelical. If you spell it out, the word angel is right there in the middle. They're, they're words that are related. The Greek word angelos means messenger. And so to be evangelical from a biblical perspective is to be a messenger with the good news of Jesus. And this is ultimately what our blessed series has been about. Loving our neighbors in Jesus' name as Jesus commanded and each letter in that series of blessed stands for something. So we talked about beginning with prayer, about listening, about eating, sharing a meal with people, 
uh, and then serving those folks. And finally, sharing your story. That's what we're gonna talk about today. This is the last crucial step and the sequence has been set up intentionally. See, there's a component to serving others in Jesus' name where we actually name Jesus as the catalyst uh, for why all this has happened of blessing others. We read this in Romans 10. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So this scripture is one of many that describes the explicit connection of, of sharing, like of helping people understand the good news of Jesus, helping people hear it. And it comes to us from the book of Romans. And that was a letter written to the ancient community in the first century of the Christian community in Rome, the early church. Being a Christian in Rome would be a bit like being a vegan in a barbecue town, right? You're, you're in the minority. And, and, and that's, a, that's kind of a casual, uh, I'm not doing justice to the persecution those folks would have faced. And this letter to the Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul writes to encourage them, to correct them, and to teach them. And so we had a whole series on the life of Paul earlier this summer. It was called O is for Leadership. And so if you want to know about Paul, we took about four weeks to, to center in on him. You can find that on our website. In this section of chapter 10, Paul is writing about his desire to reach the Jews, or as he says, the Israelites, with the message concerning the faith that we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. The people of Israel, the Jews, had long expected a savior and Paul was trying to be part of the announcing of that good news that he had come and it was Christ. So Paul knows this audience well that he's writing to because for most of his life, he was one. He was a faithful Jewish person that didn't believe the Messiah was Jesus. In fact, Paul actively worked to stamp out the early Christian church. But Paul had an amazing encounter with Jesus and he finds himself going from hunting down Christians to starting churches. Paul spoke with credibility for a few reasons. His intellect, uh, growing up a, a faithful Jewish person and being a part of um, kind of that Pharisaic group of people, these, these top of the top of the, uh, the cream of the crop in terms of, of knowledge of, of scripture. Paul also had some cachet because of his Roman citizenship. But mostly, Paul speaks with credibility because of his life. The power of his words come from the powerful change he experienced in his life. In another letter, he wrote this, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. It was Jesus working to bring about this reversal in Paul's life that gave him credibility. People trusted his authority and his witness. And the, the Bible records Paul going to Rome twice in about his 35 year ministry and both times it was to go to prison. 
to be jailed. And so Paul isn't even able to spend the type of time with these people in Rome that he would like to. And we read that in the, in the book. I long to see you so that I impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And later, I have been longing for many years to visit you. So Paul is writing to people that many of whom he's never met at all. I mean, what an odd scenario to be in. I've never met you, but I've got lots of important things about God to tell you. So why was it that they were receptive? Why were his instructions seen as legitimate? Because people will be receptive when they trust you're not being deceptive. They trusted him. I know very little about cars. I can't, I got a headlight out right now for like two days. I don't know how to change that. It takes me like an hour to change the windshield wipers. Forget about the oil. It's just, I'm just not a car person. And so the other night I'm at Monday night football, which you should come to by the way, 7 p.m. on Monday nights at Nikki's Pizza in Liberty. We've got an AFC West showdown this week. So I'm not quite sure who to root for in that, but we'll figure it out. So we'd love to see you there. Anyway, I'm sitting at uh, Nikki's Pizza with my buddy Jonathan. Jonathan's a mechanic. And so I thought, ooh, I need to talk to Jonathan. And so he probably gets this all the time. And so I did it to him. I was like, hey, man, my car's making this weird noise. Will you come listen to it? And my car, without even starting it, like without even turning the engine on, when you open the door, it sounds like it's booting up, which was new to me. I'd never experienced that. It sounds like there's a woodpecker living in my dash when I open my door. And I don't, I don't even know how to describe it to him. Luckily, you ever go to the mechanic and your car won't do the thing it's been doing? Luckily, it did. And it took him, no exaggeration, about a half second to be like, yep, that's the AC actuator. And I was like, oh, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. See, I trust Jonathan's expertise, and because he's my friend, I trust him to order the right part, and he's going to fix it up for me. See, you ever, go, you ever go to Valvoline or Jiffy Lube or whatever, and you kind of do the dance of all the things they tell you you should do to your car right now for X amount of money? Luckily, they have a sale today. Oh, that's wonderful. And they're like, sir, it appears that your air filter is from 1903, and we need to replace it. And we also need to check the specs on the rotary girder. I, I don't know what any of this stuff means. I'm just, I'm putty in their hands. That's a Tommy Boy reference, by the way. I don't know what's going on. It's like, we can't all be BFFs with our mechanic, but nobody likes to feel like they're getting taken for a ride, pun intended. Right? And I just, I have no idea what these people tell me. I just, okay. And, and so the huge difference is I know and trust Jonathan and I know he's on my side. So I'm receptive to what he will tell me instead of being suspicious that they're just trying to take my money. That's why the sequence in bless matters. That's why sharing your stories fifth. That's why it's last in the process. These conversations are so personal. They're so crucial. And so there's not some formula I want to have us memorize or, you know, I, I don't want to treat this like, like an equation because I found that's just not how it works. Ideally, we get to share our story in response to a question someone asks. A question like, you could be doing a lot of stuff. Why do you go to church? Our seven-year-old asked that apparently. And the answer can't just be because that's how daddy gets paid. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or a question like, what, what, I see you read that book. What, what, what's your book about? What are, you, what are you doing? Or, you know, even when your life 
has got a lot going on and it's kind of falling apart, you don't seem to crack. Why is that? And so before we look at the importance of speaking to those who have not heard about Jesus, let's consider some common barriers we have to sharing our story. These three things come from uh, pastors John and Dave Ferguson who wrote the book called Blessed, uh, excuse me, Blessed that this series is based on. Reluctant reason number one, I don't know enough. You know, a lot of times people feel like they're gonna have to have all the answers in case they get some type of question when they actually start to get into this stuff. Ferguson says, so many people think sharing their story is only for super religious people who understand the Bible backward and forward. I was working for a church back in the days before direct deposit was a thing. And so actually I had to go to a physical bank, Gen Z, to cash my check. It was a wild experience. And uh, on the top left of the check was written Ellisville United Methodist Church. And so I give it to the teller to cash. And she goes, oh, you work for a church, huh? What do Methodists believe? I was unprepared. You may feel unprepared too. And let me encourage you by saying definitively, you will not have all the answers. None of us have all the answers. But if we think we have to be like a Bible encyclopedia before sharing our story, then we will miss out on discovering the truth that Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out. Don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking, it will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. And we gotta ask ourselves, do I think that's true? Absolutely. <laughs> Reluctant reason number two, I don't wanna impose my beliefs on my friends and family. I don't think a lot of us like unsolicited advice. Uh, I don't think a lot of us like people yelling at us on the street or showing up to our houses unannounced on a Saturday morning. I had a student I worked with one time that worked at Steak and Shake and people would leave tracts like these little, you know, kind of gotcha stories about Jesus. They'd leave that instead of a tip. Well, eternal life is priceless. They want a tip. Just a little, there's some, there's some unsolicited advice. Leave, a, leave $10, not a little tract. Definitely don't our, put our church's name on it also. <laughs> so a lot of these classic kind of evangelism concepts, somebody on the street corner showing up to your house. They're kind of these gotcha moments that, that I'm just not interested in perpetuating. Now, as my dad would say, their way of doing it's better than my way of not doing it. But what the blessed process is describing is a very different picture. Humbly sharing the difference that following Jesus has made in your life is not imposing your beliefs on anyone, Ferguson said. Particularly when you've built up trust and credibility over a long period of time with relational investment. This is what makes people receptive when sharing your story is just appropriate in whatever situation you're finding yourself. We're not imposing, we are representing. Friends, Paul later wrote this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as if God were making his appeal through us. Reluctant reason number three, sharing my story makes me feel uncomfortable. I get it. The subject matter, very personal. Or what if it isn't received well? What if you get shot down? Friends, most worthwhile things in life require risk. And this is no different. But if you've developed that trust, 
then hopefully that person will see it as a compliment that you're trying to share with them something that you think is so valuable. And so let me encourage you with this. People will listen to you when they know that you like them. People will listen to you when they know that you like them. We've talked about some tough stuff in here over the years. But hopefully, you know that I like you and I'm gonna be right out there shaking hands. And so this, it's a two-way conversation. People will listen to you when they know that you like them. Now, they may not agree. They might not investigate faith after that more or take the conversation any further. But they should know that you like them and that that won't have to change. So how bad could it be? Now, at this point in the message, I could kind of say something like, we recommend restaurants or websites or recipes to people all the time. Why don't we share our faith with Christ the same way? Well, telling people that they should upgrade to the new iPhone like you did requires no moral commitment. That's why it's different. It's not the same. Sharing a recipe doesn't have the son of God rising from the dead as the basis for belief. So it's a little different. So I'm not going to try and come at you with that mess. But friends, it's personal, it's unique, but nothing is more important. I have a conviction that you all have much more capacity for ministry than I do, than any of the staff or pastors here do. As a pastor, people expect certain things from me. So like in the lobby, when I'm friendly to somebody, they shouldn't be impressed. That's my job. It's not a big deal. It's when other people, who, because of their own desire to be welcoming, extend that welcome and hospitality to people here, that's what makes the difference. Not our staff, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. I do have a lot of people in the community that'll approach me with questions about faith. They know that's my job, and that's a good thing. But there's a lot of times where people are, are leery around being around particularly pastors, once they find out. They've had so many bad experiences of Christians and they think that our motives are somehow, as a pastor, like less than pure. And I get that. I have to work really hard to gain access to people who are not already part of the church. Now, Carney's been a great place to do that. But friends, you get access to circles of people that are, that are, that are ambivalent to faith Every day, you get to do all the time what I have to work really hard to have access to. So let's continue to bless folks and put ourselves in a position for people to be curious about why we are the way we are. So that when they ask, we can always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I love that verse. So, what's our good way of doing it? How can we actually share our story? I would offer you three components. This is just one way to think about it. It's not a formula, just some questions to consider. What was life like before you knew Jesus? How did you come to faith in Jesus? And what changed? If we wanna be credible, we need to be able to articulate the difference Jesus has made in our life. People want to know, does it matter to you? 
Now, some of us are sitting here thinking, hmm, I'm not sure my faith story is very dramatic. I'm not sure it's very impressive. Friends, that's okay. I think a lot of times we kind of celebrate the big flashy things like Paul, he went blind for a couple days, all of a sudden has this big change. It doesn't always work like that for everybody. We need to celebrate that. My own faith story isn't gonna bring anybody to tears. Like I grew up a preacher's kid, a PK, if you've heard that abbreviation. And really there's only two types of PKs. There's, there's the type, there's only two, only two roads you can go down. There's the type of PK that even the kids on the bus apologize for cursing in front of, or there's the PK that all the kids buy drugs from. Like that's it, that's it. Now I was the first kind because I liked getting allowance. My, my, my path of purity was purely out of self-preservation. Let me tell you, let me tell you. You know, like in high school, I didn't really mess around with girls, but that's mostly because I didn't get the opportunity. I was wondering how that would go over. I went for it. I went for it. Right? It's like, it's, it's not dramatic. For me, coming to faith was very natural. The church has been so good to me and my family my whole life. My whole life. But like anybody, my faith has been tested. And then the only two options or paths to go down were to bail or to do the only thing you could. And that was cling to Jesus. When all the disappointments and disaster life either brought me or that I brought on myself. And so as far as change, I would say I've seen what happens when I put my desires first. And the change in my life is summed up by Psalm 37, four. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I love that verse. And here's why. What I have discovered, the one thing I know about my life is that that verse about delighting in God and God will give you the desires of your heart, that doesn't mean if you pray the right way or if you pray enough, you'll get a boat or a new smoker or a functioning AC attenuator. (laughs) That's not what that means. The change in my life is the discovery of allowing God to change my heart to desire the things God delights in. That's the difference of putting it in the right order. And so if you don't feel like your faith story is flashy, don't worry. The fact that it's your story is what makes it worth sharing. Friends, you all have much more capacity for ministry than I do. And I wanna show you an example of this. And I I need you to know, I, I practically had to beg for permission to do this because the type of person that I'm about to describe is also the type of person that doesn't want the limelight or doesn't want everybody to think that they, you know, enjoy being lifted up. I want to tell you about my friend AJ. There he is. Look at that picture. You may recognize AJ from right over there earlier, playing the drums, the djembe, excuse me. We got his animal cage there typically on a Sunday morning. AJ's a part of our church. He's a husband. He's a dad. He's a musician. He's an avid Cardinals fan, which we kind of enjoy secretly together. Okay. I see, I see a few of us here. Very good. Uh, he's in management at Charlie's Car Wash in Liberty. 
And AJ is passionate about servant leadership, about taking the practices of Jesus and trying to implement them into his daily life, especially at his job and the people that report to him. And because of this, he's consistently been able to have conversations about his story and about his faith. As part of a leadership program, one of his direct reports had to give a presentation on leadership and interview someone they thought of as a good leader. Let me share with you a couple of actual slides from this presentation. I chose to interview my general manager, AJ. He has been my GM and a great friend of mine for five and a half years at Charlie's Car Wash. And then they had to say, why did you choose this leader? I chose this leader because he has taught me so much over the past five and a half years. He's taught me how to be an excellent leader, an excellent wife, and an excellent person in the short time that I've known him. He has helped me realize what is important in life and most importantly, how to be an excellent servant leader. He teaches me every day how to treat our team with kindness and how to successfully and efficiently lead the team to achieve results. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant from Matthew 20. This Bible verse reminds me of what AJ teaches me every day. That's ministry, brother. Thank you. That's, that's incredible. AJ goes to work every day to bless the people around him, especially the folks that work for him. And because people know AJ likes them, they're receptive to what he has to say. They trust he's not being deceptive. So friends, may you consider your own story and be willing to share it when God brings the opportunity. What was life like before you knew Christ? Or even made a deeper faith commitment to Christ? This ain't a one and done thing a lot of times. How did you come to know Jesus? How did you come to faith? And what changed? People wanna know what's the difference that following Jesus has made in your life. Friends, may God bless you in order to be a blessing to others as we begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share our stories in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.